morning. Hi. Good to see you all. Um, look, I had a, uh, a laptop-related issue a couple of weeks ago. I know. Oh, poor me. It's all right. I thought about filling out a prayer card, but I decided against it. Um, anyway, so I've been typing my um, notes for my preach-up this morning on my phone, and I didn't realise until I airdropped it and printed it this morning that it's um, much longer than I thought. So, look, I'm starting a stopwatch just to keep myself accountable and on track. And I am very sorry if I go way over. You can, you can give me a little one of these if you're like, all right, time to wrap up. I'm late for lunch. Okay. But hello. Good to see you all. Hello again. <laughs> Now that's out of the way. Look, I don't have a lot to um, uh, uh, lead in with this morning because of how much I kind of want to discuss about Colossians. So I hope that's okay. If you came here for Colossians, you're in the right place. Um, Nathan kind of introduced us to the book of Colossians last week and went over the first part of chapter one, which is awesome. And I'm going to talk mostly about chapter two today with a little bit of chapter one sprinkled in there and a little bit of the book of uh, Philemon sprinkled in there, just something, spicing it up a little bit. That's why it's so long. I'm sorry, but I couldn't help myself. Um, So let's revise some of the context of the book of Colossians in case we've forgotten anything or if you weren't here last week or or, or whatever. Um, Colossians, the book of the Bible, is a letter being written by Paul to a church in Colossae. We're with me so far. It's a letter to the people of Colossae, the Colossians. He wrote this letter from prison when a guy called Epaphras, who established that church in Colossae, came to him kind of with these struggles that his church was facing. Um, And one of the struggles that Nathan actually mentioned last week as well is polytheism. I hope I've pronounced pronounced that correctly, polytheism, worshipping many gods at once. Um, and that's kind of for, for a couple of reasons. Um, it was, look, this was a church, the, the Colossian church was established to spread the good news of Jesus. Um, and the good news of Jesus was being received, which is awesome, except it was kind of getting mixed in with these other things as well, these other false teachings about gods, and some of which we've probably heard of. Um, but Colossi. I really liked this, actually, when I read this. Colossi, the city, is kind of often compared to one of our 21st century cities today. It was a city that lots of people travelled through, so people from all walks of life, with their own beliefs, with their own cultures and traditions and philosophies and faiths and all of that, and kind of being mixed in together. And that's quite similar, I guess, to... Adelaide at the moment. There's people from all over the world living in Adelaide with different beliefs, different traditions, different cultures, kind of not always getting mixed together, but uh, that was definitely a thing in Colossae. Sometimes um, being combined and almost forming new religions as well. So self-made religions that these people were making because of everything that was going on. All right. 
I thought I'd mention some of the gods that were being worshipped at the time, which was um, pretty cool. What's it called? Is it archaeology? Is that where people like uncover old cities and things like that? So they were able to find lots of stuff uh, pointing towards some of the gods that were worshipped at the time. So I thought I'd tell you about some of them because you've heard of some of them. Artemis. Have we heard of Artemis before? The goddess of wild animals and childbirth. What a combo. Um, Helios, the sun god, Helios. Um, Oh no, Dionysus. I don't know. The god of fruitfulness or fertility. Um, Demos, the god of terror. Um, Tyche, the goddess of fortune or luck. Isis, the goddess of healing. Um, and then there was one that said a local river god. I don't know what that really means. But, you know, like gods that were sort of just specific to the people of Colossae that maybe they'd come up with or, or whatever. Um, the problem is when you worship multiple gods, I don't know if you've been through this, if this is relatable. When you worship multiple gods, there's a lot of uh, different rituals and different things that you've got to keep up with all the time to make sure that this God is happy and this God is happy and that um, is going to be a lot of effort. But also, if something goes wrong in your city, like if there's a drought or um, a flood or, or disease spreading or something like that, it's going to be pinned on someone who wasn't fasting correctly or wasn't following their rituals properly or didn't put their idol out or I don't know, I didn't live there, I don't know every single detail. But seriously, with all of it, that was a thing. There were people who were employed, whose job it was, whose title it was, to say, all right, well, this has gone wrong. Clearly, Isis, the goddess of healing, isn't pleased and it's probably because you didn't fast eight days, you stopped at seven. Um, anyway... That's a bit of context. Was that too much? Are we okay? Great. All right. I'm going to really encourage you as I'm reading through the Bible this morning. It will be up on the screen, but I am going to encourage you to whip out your phone Bible or your real life Bible um, to follow along with just so that you're kind of, I don't know, placed so you know where we are and where certain things are said. You don't have to. That's just an encouragement. Um, And again, I just kind of want to go over the last part of Colossians chapter 1, which we didn't talk about heaps last week, because I think that's actually really important for what Paul's trying to say in Colossians chapter 2. So, Colossians chapter 1. Here's a little recap. Verses 1 to 14, Nath read last week a lot about um, like Paul's greeting, his friendly greeting, his encouragement and his statement that Jesus is the good news which has been planted and is bearing good fruit. Do we remember that from last week? Yay, Nath remembers. (laughs) That's good. That's good. Then after that, verses 15 to 23, you might have read it at home already if you took up Nath's challenge of reading through the whole book, but we're going to quickly read it together. From verse 15. So this is Colossians chapter 1 from verse 15. Okay, I am reading the NLT if that's important to anyone. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Right? Jesus is king of kings. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else and he holds all creation together. 
Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. He is the beginning, supreme over all who rise from the dead. So he is first in everything. For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ and through him God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. This includes you who were once far away from God. You were his enemies, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. Yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. As a result, he has brought you into his own presence and you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. How good's that? Um, But you must continue to believe this truth and stand firmly in it. Don't drift away from the assurance you received when you heard the good news. The good news has been preached all over the world and I, Paul, have been appointed as God's servant to proclaim it. I'm going to stop there. That's just some good old theology, right? Like this is who God is, this is who Christ is, they are one and the same, just really reminding them and refocusing them on who Christ is. This was the setup for chapter 2 and I think it's so important for us to know that to be able to let the rest of chapter 2 sink in. All right, eight and a half minutes, we're going okay. All right, now let's read Colossians chapter 2 together. Okay. Oh, wait, I forgot to say the last part of chapter one was just um, Paul continuing to talk about his role in the body of Christ. Now into Colossians chapter two, starting at verse one. Let's go. I want you to know how much I have agonized for you and for the church at Laodicea, which was just like a neighboring church, and for many other believers who have never met me personally. I want them to be encouraged and knit together by strong ties of love. I want them to have complete confidence that they understand God's mysterious plan, which is Christ himself. In him lie all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I'm just pausing. Sorry, I do this sometimes. Paul is saying that knowing the truth about who God is, is no longer a mystery. Jesus came to earth showing us what God looked like, um, showing us who God is, and knowing Jesus is knowing God. I don't have enough room on this stand for all of my things. I'm so sorry. Um, Oh, no. Oh, no. I'm good. In chapter one, he said this, God has given me the responsibility of serving his church by proclaiming his entire message to you. This message was kept secret for centuries and generations past, but now it has been revealed to God's people. He's saying you don't have to be a scholar. You don't have to be a saint. You don't have to be one of the Gnostics who claim to know all the secrets about the spiritual world. This message has been revealed to you. It is for everyone. We good with that? Great. Um, And I loved that line. Paul wants them to have complete confidence that they understand who Jesus is. Again, this sequence is really important, I think. Okay, so verse 4. I am telling you this so no one will deceive you with well-crafted arguments. For though I am far away from you, my heart is with you. And I rejoice that you are living as you should and that your faith in Christ is strong. 
And now, just as you have accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. Let your roots grow down into him and let your lives be built on him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught and you will overflow with thankfulness. Here's where he starts kind of addressing the problems that Epaphras brought to him. Don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense that come from human thinking and from the spiritual powers of this world rather than from Christ. For in Christ lives all the fullness of God in a human body. So you are also complete through your union with Christ, who is the head over every ruler and authority. You are complete through your union with Christ. You don't need anything else. You don't need any other gods or rulers. It's Jesus plus nothing. All right, verse 11. When you came to Christ, you were circumcised, but not by a physical procedure. Christ performed a spiritual circumcision, the cutting away of your sinful nature, for you were buried with Christ when you were baptized, and with him you were raised to new life because you trusted the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. You were dead because of your sins and because of your sinful nature was not, oh sorry, because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ for he forgave all our sins. He cancelled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. I love that imagery. So it's because of who God is, right? It's because of what Jesus did. It's nothing that we earned or worked for. And again, we don't need anything else. We are complete through our union with Christ because of who he is, Jesus plus nothing. We're nearly there. Verse 16. So don't let anyone condemn you for what you eat or drink or for not celebrating certain holy days or new moon ceremonies or Sabbaths. For these rules are only shadows of the reality yet to come. And Christ himself is that reality. Don't let anyone condemn you by insisting on pious self-denial or the worship of angels, saying they have had visions about these things. Their sinful minds have made them proud and they are not connected to Christ, the head of the body. For he holds the whole body together with its joints and ligaments and it grows as God nourishes it. Jesus plus nothing. Am I right or am I right? Uh, You have died with Christ and he has set you free from the spiritual powers of this world. So why do you keep on following the rules of the world such as don't handle, don't taste, don't touch? Such rules are mere human teachings about things that deteriorate as we use them. These rules may seem wise because they require strong devotion, pious self-denial and severe bodily discipline, but they provide no help in conquering a person's evil desires. You don't need those, you just need Jesus. We've got the same kind of theme occurring this whole way through. All right, we're done. We reached the end of chapter two. Well done, everybody. Okay, now let's just talk about it a little bit. I've already been talking. You're getting the theme, the common kind of thread through this chapter. So, Epaphras has asked Paul for help in changing some of the problematic behaviours of the Colossians. And the first thing that Paul does is encourage them and remind them of who Jesus is. That's the first thing he does. 
He lets them know that Jesus is the only God that they need and that it's because of Jesus' victory on the cross that they have been saved. Great. It's after this that that he kind of begins to address the behaviours. Why? Because it actually isn't about what they need to do or need to not do in order to be saved, right? That's not actually important. It's about what Jesus already did. And if they can understand that, then their way of living is going to be impacted as a result, right? So Paul warns against um, the false teachings and the spiritual ideas um, that aren't of Christ, saying that they aren't necessary and they're empty philosophies, he says. And again, we are whole because we have accepted Christ. We don't need anything additional to that. Jesus plus nothing. Um, Paul then talks about the Jewish practice of circumcision and uses this as a metaphor of Jesus cutting away our sinful nature. Um, Verse 14, if you haven't highlighted it yet in your Bible app, highlight it. Verse 14 is amazing and it says, He cancelled the record of charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. How amazing. Paul's saying we literally have no debts to pay. And he said it in chapter 1 too. He said um, we are faultless, we are blameless now because of what Jesus has done. Jesus took care of it. We are whole because we accepted Christ. That's it. Um, Then he starts talking about various rules that the Colossians have been told they need to follow. And he listed some like um, some of the Jewish or Mosaic mosaic law, like the Sabbath and um, some some things to do with the other gods, like new moon ceremonies and things like that. And again, he's saying these things aren't the reason that you've been saved. It's because of Jesus. There's um, a Jesus line in the book of Matthew that I really, really just wanted to refer to and I put it on a pro presenter for you. Um, from Matthew chapter 5, verse 17, Jesus said, don't think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. Don't think that I've come to abolish the Old Testament. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. And the word fulfill there in Greek was plero, or if I was Greek, I'd say it properly, meaning to fill in or to make perfect. So he hasn't come to tell you, stop doing everything you're doing. We need to change everything. He's come to say, you're missing a massive part of your understanding, right? There's something missing. And it lines exactly up with what Paul was saying. He's not condemning them for respecting the Sabbath or condemning them for fasting. In fact, some of those things might be really beneficial for just you as an individual, but they're missing something crucial about the character of God. If they think these practices are necessary for their salvation, then they're missing something crucial about the character of God. And that's grace, right? I've said it many times, I'll say it again, these things won't save you. It's Jesus that has saved us. Just like some of our practices today might be super beneficial for us, but they're not the thing saving us. Coming to church every week does not save you. Worshipping, singing along with the band doesn't save you. Reading your Bible and following a daily devotional doesn't save you. They're amazing things to do and they can benefit us as individuals, but they don't save us because Jesus has already saved us. He is already victorious. It's Jesus plus nothing. 
We don't need anything else. Jesus saves. Jesus has taken our sins and nailed them to the cross. Jesus gave us new life when he defeated death. It's Jesus that has saved us. And it's because of this that we want to worship. And it's because of this that we want to read God's word and know everything that we can about him, right? And then all, everything else, the behaviours, the actions, flow out into the rest of our lives. Cool. All right. I'm getting there. It's going to sound like I'm wrapping up. I'm not done yet. But I am just, <laughs> I don't want you feeling tricked. But I am going to invite you right now to respond to this. Everyone in the room, whether you've accepted Jesus into your life before or like 50 times or you might be in the hundreds. I mean, you don't have to accept my invitation right now, but I'm extending it nonetheless. And I'm inviting every person in the room to accept what Jesus has done for you. And I'm inviting you to accept this good news and ask the Holy Spirit to change your actions and your behaviours and, and influence that stuff. But I'm not asking you to change your behaviours. I'm asking you to accept that Jesus has saved you, right? So if you'd like to accept that, I'm going to invite you to stand or if you can't stand or you're not willing to at the moment, maybe put your hands out. But right now, if you're willing and if you're able, stand up. I'm going to pray and I'm inviting you to pray with me. Let's just accept what Jesus has done again. God, we just want to refocus right now on who you are. Thank you, Jesus, that we can call you our saviour. Thank you, Jesus, that we are debt free because of your overflowing grace for us. Thank you that it's not up to our efforts or um, our actions, but because of what you have done, that we have been given new life. And right now, we accept you and we invite you into our lives. We are saved because of what you have done for us. We are given new life because of what you have done for us. Jesus, we are sorry for the times we've focused on our efforts or um, even our shortcomings instead of focusing on who you are. Holy Spirit, we ask that you help us to become more like Jesus in the way that we speak and the way that we act, in the way that we love others and help us to love one another the way that we're loved by you, God, and uh, work through us to build your kingdom here on earth. In the victorious name of Jesus, we thank you. Amen. Amen. You can take a seat. All right. I've got one more thing that I want to talk about. And I'm 20, nearly 22 minutes, so I think it's okay. <laughs> Philemon. Do we recognise that name? Maybe. Nath mentioned him last week. There's also a book in the Bible called Philemon, a little further along than Colossians. And it's in my Bible at home, it was literally one page. Barely a postcard, right? Um, but it's another letter that Paul writes and it's believed that these two letters were sent at the same time because of what Paul says in each of them. But in this book of the Bible, Paul gives us a really concrete example of what it looks like to let our understanding of what Jesus has done influence our actions. Having a solid understanding of who Jesus is and letting that flow out into the rest of our lives. All right, here's, here's the example. So Philemon is a man. He's a friend of Paul who lives in Colossae. 
who came to know about Jesus because of Paul's teaching. So they're good friends, they have a relationship. Um, And like I said, the book of Philemon is another letter being written from Paul to Philemon about Philemon's slave Onesimus. I think you said Onesimus last week. Onesimus, I like to say. Onesimus is a runaway slave. He has stolen from Philemon and he's taken off to Rome, all right? Which, by the way, at the time was punishable by death. So he's really on the run. Um, But over in Rome, Onesimus encounters Paul and becomes a Christian. He learns about who Jesus is. He wants to transform his life, right? He becomes a follower of Jesus. Now, based on the Roman law at the time, I hope I'm not boring anyone here, based on the Roman law, Paul has every right upon his encounter with Onesimus to hand him over, to be arrested and maybe put to death, right? According to the law, according to the rules, that's what Paul should have done. Instead, according to what Paul knows about who Jesus is, he extends grace. And this is how he extends grace. He writes this letter to Philemon. He says he's met Onesimus and tells him that Onesimus has become a follower of Jesus. And he says, I'm sending Onesimus back to you with this letter, but I want you to welcome him as a brother in Christ or as a dearly loved brother, he says. And then he says, welcome him as you would welcome me. And then he says, if Onesimus owes you anything, which we know he does because he stole a lot. If Onesimus owes you anything, put that to my account and I will settle it for you. Does that remind you of anyone? (laughs) Right? Put that debt on me. And of course, Philemon has the legal right to enact whatever punishment is, you know, um, fair at the time. Um, But Paul is saying... Welcome him as you would welcome me. And if he owes you anything, I'm going to take that debt as well. Onesimus is now debt-free, blameless, because Paul has extended that grace. And why has Paul extended that grace? Because he knows what Jesus has done for him on the cross. And Paul has been extended that overflowing grace from Jesus. And that is now overflowing and influencing Paul's actions. How is that for practicing what you preach, hey? That's pretty good. That's a Jesus-centered life. Focus on Jesus and the rest will just flow into our lives. Cool. Now I'm done. All right. If you haven't already or if you haven't done it before, give the book of Philemon a read this week. Again, it's probably only one page in your Bible. It's not that long. Um, And if you haven't yet as well, give Colossians chapter 3 a read because Jacob's going to be teaching us a bit about that next week. Um, Yeah, it's good to see you all. I'm setting you free now. Um, (laughs) I hope you have an amazing week. I'll see you next time.